All the time. Let's read our verses today. Don't be seated yet. We're going to read a couple of verses, then you can be seated the rest of the time. I want to talk to you about something that's too good to be true. How many of you have even lately said, I knew that was too good to be true? Anybody said that lately? Don't we kind of live in that world? Something looks good, sounds good, feels good, but then you go, ah, turns out in the end it was too good to be true. But I'm going to talk to you about something that is too good to be true, and it is true. It is true. All right? So let's read this. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Read it with me. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Isn't that good news? And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now, I want you to catch that. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now, can you look at your neighbor and say, that means you. You have a calling You have a task. Notice he's not just talking to professional ministers. Everybody who has had a new creation experience in Christ, everybody who's been born again, it says we have a task, and that is to reconcile people to Christ and uh, reconcile people to him. For God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. Isn't that good? And he gave us. Now turn to your neighbor again and say, this is you again. He gave this wonderful message of reconciliation to you. So look, God gave you a task. God gave you a message. It's that simple. God gave you a task. God gave you a message. And what is the message? It's the message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through who? Through us. Now, one more time to your neighbor and say, that's that's you again. Now, you've been, these verses have gotten you three times. So you are Jesus' ambassador. God is making an appeal to the world through you. We speak for Christ when we say, come back to God. Isn't that good stuff? Now I'm going to share with you an old-fashioned message today. I'm going to talk about the cross. I'm going to talk about why we're here. We're all here because of the cross. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. I pray for a divine awakening. I pray for the Holy Spirit to take the veil off of our eyes, any veil off of our hearts, and that you would give us a moment in God, an epiphany, a a revelation that we have been called to be reconcilers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And I I really sense the Lord here today for a very, very special reason. I I just do. And I want to talk to you about the basics of why we're here, why there is a church, why we're here worshiping a person called Jesus. Like I said already, we're not here to be religious. We're here to 
involve ourselves in a relationship that has been made possible because of reconciliation. Now, let me tell you what the Bible has to say about mankind through the Scriptures. What does God say about mankind, that world out there that we're all in every day? What does God say about that world, that world that doesn't know him, that world that has not embraced Christ, that world that is out there just struggling to make ends meet? What does God say about them? Well, here's what the Bible says. Man without Jesus Christ, man without Jesus Christ is dead in sins. Now, here's the bad news before the good news, but we got to hear the truth. The book that said, I'm okay, you're okay, was not okay. Because until we meet him by putting our faith in Jesus, we're not okay. That's the testimony of the Bible. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, at one time you were dead because of your sins. Dead. Now, that we breathed, we walked, we talked, you know, we changed flat tires, we worked at jobs, we produced families. We were alive physically, but the Bible says that because of sin, our spirits have been unplugged from God. It's like if I had a lamp here and with a light bulb and the whole bit and the cord, but it wasn't plugged in. I've got everything there that's ready to be lit up, but it cannot light up unless it is plugged into a power source. Unless it is plugged into a life source, that lamp can't function the way it was designed to function. It can't give light. And what the Bible tells us is before we knew Jesus, we're unplugged. We're made to shine. We're made to walk with God. We're made to fellowship with God. We're made to talk to him and walk with him and receive from him and enjoy his presence. But the Bible says until we come to Jesus, only Jesus, exclusively Jesus, there is no other way. We're unplugged. We are lamps that have no power, no life. We're dead in sins. And then the Bible tells us something else, that people without Jesus are the enemies of God. Did you know that? Colossians 1 says, once you were alienated from God. And when you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, isn't it interesting what the Bible tells us about you and me? The Bible doesn't say, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's all right, God's in everybody. Everybody has God in them. Everybody is a piece of God. Well, let me tell you a distinction. We're all created by God, but we're not all children of God. See, you've got to be born again to be a child of God. And this is the bad news before the good news. This is the reality of the situation. This is like we have received a divine x-ray from God. And the x-ray has come back. And the x-ray tells the story. We're unplugged. We're dead. And not only are we dead in sins, but we are enemies of God. We're enemies. Here's the problem. Man without God lives in sinful behaviors. And those sinful behaviors cut off any hope of relationship with the true God. When Paul was talking about this, listen to what Paul said. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You used to. Everybody in here used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. 
Now, that's telling the truth about you and me. And you know what? We know that's true deep down. Why is our church evangelistic? Why are we gearing up to reach as many people as we can, as fast as we can, as often as we can, in whatever creative way we can find? Because those people out there without God are dead in sin, and because of their behavior, because of their fallen nature, they are the enemies of God. They are not at peace with God. They are the enemies of God. They're not at peace with God. They're following the passionate desires and the inclinations of a sinful nature, and they need to be delivered. And then in Romans 7, Paul gets real transparent, and he tells us the truth about himself. Listen to what he says. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Right when I decide to do good, I do something wrong. He said, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there anyone who can do anything for me? That's the predicament of mankind. There are people out there who are wondering, why do I always keep doing wrong? What is my problem? Why do I keep getting in trouble? Why do I keep in this addiction? Why do I continue in these behaviors? What is it that's wrong with me? Let me tell you the bottom line problem, S-I-N. That's the bottom line problem. You don't have to go through years and years of psychoanalysis. I'll give it to you free today free of charge. The problem, bottom line, is S-I-N, sin. We've all got a disease. The Bible tells us we were all born with a disease, and the disease is sin. It's that downward tug to do that which is against God. It's that downward pull. And Paul said, every time I want to do what is right, I do what's wrong. I'm in this battle, and it makes me just get to the end of my rope. And there are people out there, or maybe some in here right now, at the end of your rope because something keeps pulling you down. And the Bible says that there is a solution. And I'm going to tell you that solution today. But we've got to understand that because of this bent towards sin, Scripture says we are by nature God's enemies. Because of that downward pull, we cannot fellowship with God. It is impossible. God is holy. God is righteous. God is good. He cannot sin. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of change. He is complete righteousness, complete holiness, completely good. And so when sin happens in his presence, it breaks that relationship. And I want you to understand that. I don't care how good your intentions are, according to the Bible. If you're in sin, if you're living in a, in a way that is, that is not godly, your relationship with God is broken. You can't go hug a tree and get close to God. You can't get yourself in a lotus position and say, I'll all day long and get close to God. You're cut off from the life source. And the last thing the Bible says is man without Jesus is right now experiencing God's anger. Did you know that? 
Ephesians 2 says, by our very nature, we are subject to God's anger. Because God is holy, he's daily vexed every day, and he's angered over the sins of men. The psalmist said, God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, I don't know about you, but there's one person I don't want against me. There's one person I don't want against me, and that's G-O-D, God. I don't want God against me. But see, my sin makes me be against him, and my sin causes him to be angry with the sin in my life. And that's a good thing because that sin is destroying any person walking in it. Sin is poison. Sin is deadly. Sin will destroy your life. Sin will take you out young. Sin will destroy, take the vital life source out of you. Sin will ruin your ability to enjoy life and enjoy relationships and enjoy the good things God has for you. Sin is a robber, a thief, a murderer, a killer. And God hates sin, but he loves, desperately loves the sinner. So when I tell you, when I tell you that, that God is angry with the sin in your life, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But if I've got a child and I see my child being bitten over and over by a poisonous snake, you think I'm not going to be angry at that snake? You think I'm not going to pick up the nearest stick and beat that snake to death and get him off of my child? I love my child, but that snake is biting him and poisoning him to death. That's what God feels about the sin in our life. God wants the sin out. Amen. I'm preaching good today, y'all. I'm preaching good. We need to hear this. You don't hear this much anymore, and that's a shame. Because I can't, if I go to the doctor and he x-rays me and he finds cancer, he says, oh, but, you know, I'm going to walk in love and not tell him. I just love him too much to tell him. I don't want to burden him down with that. And he doesn't love me. He has just destroyed me. And the Bible's take on you and me is that we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We need a redeemer. We need an answer. We need help. And without that help, we're dead and we're an enemy of God and his anger is resting on us. Watch what the Bible says. It's on account of sin that the holy anger of God is continuously falling upon the sons of disobedience. Now, you look out there and you go, well, people I see walking in sin, they don't look like they've got anger resting on them. You don't know the truth. You don't know the truth about their life. The, 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 devil's, the devil's forte, his MO, is to make sin look good. He always shows you the beginning, but he never shows you the end. He shows you the beginning before you snort that Coke, before you drink that alcohol, before you smoke that cigarette. And he says, it's okay. He doesn't show you the addiction, the ruined lives, the destroyed bodies, the destroyed minds. He doesn't show you the people that die young. I'm telling you, we live in a world of snares and traps. But I've got news that's too good to be true. I'm telling you, too good to be true. So just hang on, and I'm about to tell it to you. Listen to this. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the anger of God is falling on all who disobey him. Right now, present tense, the anger of God is falling on a Christ-rejecting, sin-loving world. It's falling. 
Don't let perceptions fool you. There is always a payday someday for living wrong. Always. And right when you think you got the wind at your sails, and it seems like the church was all wrong or the word was all wrong, and you're saying to yourself, that was just a bunch of baloney, I'm having fun for the first time in my life, then you hit the rocks. Well, if I'm an enemy of God, and if I'm dead in sin, and if the anger of God is resting on me, what is the answer? Remember, Paul said, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there nobody who can do anything for me? I'm desperate. God said, there's an answer. And here's the answer. There had to be a reconciliation. There had to be a reconciliation. Because our thoughts, our actions, our lifestyles have all alienated us from God. There has to be and there had to be a way to be reconciled to the God who's angry, to whom I am dead, and whose enemy I am. There has to be an answer. There has to be a way to reconcile me to that God. We couldn't mediate the reconciliation. It was not in us to, to mediate, to bring about the reconciliation. It's not in us. Isaiah said, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and we fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. So we can't mediate it. We can't be our own attorney. We can't bring reconciliation. It's not in us. We're sinful. Our sin brought separation and separation brought death. There's only one answer. There had to be a mediator. There had to be a mediator. What's a mediator? A mediator is somebody who works with opposing sides in order to bring about an agreement. That's a mediator. A mediator is a peacemaker, a middleman. There had to be somebody that stepped in. Here's God over here, angry. We're dead to him. Dead people don't seek God. Dead people don't raise themselves from the dead. Over here, we are, and we're against God, not living in a way that pleases him at all. Somebody's got to step in the middle and be a mediator. And Jesus was the mediator. And can I be real clear with some, about something with you? We're living in a day of pluralism. Pluralism says, well, any old God will do. There's not one way. I can choose my way. Pluralism says, I won't offend you by telling you there's only one way, and don't you offend me by telling me there's only one way. We don't want to be that narrow. We don't want to be that narrow-minded. We're broader-minded than that. Pluralism is choking the life out of America. Listen to me. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men. There's only one attorney you want to hire to get it right with God. 
say, well, well, Pastor Jeff, you know, that's all good and wonderful, but I've got my religion. I've got my faith. I've got my way. I mean well. I'm well-intentioned, and that's all that really matters to God. You are dead wrong about that. That is not all that matters to God. Here's what matters to God. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believed on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was the mediator, and the place of mediation was the cross. That was the place of mediation. That was the bargaining table, the cross. Now, let me tell you some things about that good old rugged cross, because we got to get back to the cross and to the blood running down that old rugged cross. We got to get back to it. Can I, can I tell you that the, the cross was not an afterthought. When, when God saw men fall and go into sin and become unplugged, God didn't say, oh, no, what will we do, Gabriel? Michael, do you have anything in mind? You know, I tell you all the time, God never says, well, I'll be. And God never says, oops. God didn't say, what are we going to do? You know what the Bible tells us? That the, the cross was the plan of God from the beginning of time. He chose us, Ephesians says, he chose us to be reconciled in him before the creation of the world. The cross was not an afterthought. It was not something God did at the moment of man's fall. He already had that plan in mind, and he saw you coming to the foot of that cross and being forgiven. You need to understand the Old Testament. If you want to know the, the Old Testament in one phrase, the Old Testament points forward to the cross, and the New Testament points backward to the cross. The cross is the central event in the history of mankind. The cross is the nuclear bomb spiritually in the history of mankind. The cross is the apex of history. It is the defining moment in the life and history of man. The cross. The Old Testament anticipates the coming of the cross. The New Testament celebrates the finished cross. The cross is the turning point for all men. That's why I call this church Turning Point. Because our message brings people to a turning point. The cross is the turning point for all men. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you the truth. According to the word of God, here's what it says. You won't be asked where you went to school or, or how much money you made at the judgment seat of God. You will be asked what you did with the cross. What did you do with the cross? The cross is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to you and to me. You will not be saved apart from the cross. You won't be forgiven apart from the cross. You will not know God apart from the cross. You will not have the Holy Ghost residing in you apart from the cross. Because at the cross is where we are reconciled to God. At the cross, you see a revelation of the character of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at the cross. What does the cross tell you? At the cross, we see the magnificent, fantastic, incomprehensible, unfathomable love of God. Loved a lost world so much that he was willing to go to the cross in the presence of his son. 
That's how much he loves you. You know what the cross is? It's a postcard from God to you. I love you. That's the cross. At the cross, we see a revelation of the God of justice. You see, here's the deal at the cross. According to the Bible, the transgression of the law or the breaking of the commandments. Anybody in here ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? I just want to be sure. If you haven't broken one or you think you haven't, I'm having an altar call in just a minute. According to Scripture, the breaking of the Ten Commandments called for the death of the sinner. It called for the death of the sinner. Sin brought death. When man sinned, the verdict was death. But rather than calling for our death, God satisfied his need for justice by the death of his son who died in our place. Isaiah wrote, the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of all of us. So here's what that means. And I don't understand how God did it. I can't comprehend it. I can't wrap my mind around it, but I do believe it. When Jesus hung on that cross, beaten beyond recognition, gasping for breath, dying, God laid on him your sin, my sin. He took the rap. He took the blame. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity past, and it will ever happen again in the eternity future. God the Son was separated from God the Father because the Lord laid on him the sin, the iniquity, the cursings, the thefts, the murders, all of it on him. He bore it. And the Bible says, he became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I like the way... The Message Bible puts it, God put the wrong on him. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right. He put the wrong on him so we could be put right. Years ago in a western city, a husband and wife became estranged and finally separated. True story. They left the city and resided in different parts of the country. The husband one day chanced to return to this city as a matter of business. And he went out to the cemetery to the grave of their only son, who had been killed in a car accident years before. He was standing by the grave in fond memories when he heard a step behind him. Turning, he saw his estranged wife. The first inclination of both of them was to turn away. But they had a common binding interest in that grave. They had a common binding interest in that grave. I can't tell you how that talks to me because we've got a common binding interest in a grave. And instead of turning away, they clasped hands over that grave of their son and were reconciled one to another. It took nothing less than death to reconcile them. Now hear me carefully. It took nothing less than death to reconcile you and me to God. And that's why we've got a common binding interest in a grave.
That means if you're a Baptist, I can take your hand. If you're a Methodist, I can take your hand. If you're an atheist, I can still take your hand and say, let me take you to this grave. There's a message on this tombstone. We've got a common binding interest. I can fellowship with you. I don't care what denomination you are. I can fellowship with you if we've got a common binding interest in that grave. The Bible says, you now, he has reconciled to himself through the death, the death, the death of Christ. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Oh, I'm going to tell you, we need to be preaching that cross. You want an answer to to life's confusion? You want meaning? You want purpose? You're going to find it at the cross. You want to know why you're on this earth? The answer is at the cross. You want to be forgiven for your sin? The answer is at the cross. You need a deliverance in your life from some habit that's got you bound? The answer is at the cross. God brought us back to himself through Jesus' work on the cross. And through reconciliation, he made us a new creation. And I want to just be crystal clear today. Until you go to that cross, God will be a distant thing to you. Until you go to that cross, you will never know the sweet love of God poured out on your heart by the Holy Ghost. Yes, he loves you, but you can't experience it until by the cross you're plugged in. This is too good to be true. But it is true. There's an answer. Now I want to come to the target of this message. Because of what Jesus did, every person in this sanctuary has been called to a ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us. How many of you in here have been reconciled at the cross? Can I see your hand? Reconciled. And I encourage you, if you haven't been, slip away today somewhere. Go into a closet a bathroom, somewhere alone, a bedroom, wherever you can get alone, and just say, Lord, you know what I heard today, God. If that cross thing is true, show me. I dare you. I challenge you. Because as soon as God hears cross, you got his ear. I challenge you to do it. Say, ah, you know, I don't know about this Christian stuff. I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to get you to be a part of a church or a denomination or to be turned into some Bible thumper who looks weird and acts weird and nobody can identify with. I'm challenging you to go to that cross and see if there's not an answer to your philosophical questions at that cross, if there's not an answer to the problems in your life at that cross. For at the cross, he dealt with every issue binding you and tormenting you. But we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God, the Bible says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the task of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I want you to say with me, reconciled people, reconcile people. Now I want you to catch that. Say it with me again. Reconciled people, reconcile people. I have a task. Go to the spiritually dead enemies of God who are experiencing his anger and reconcile them. Now, I'm going to ask Bean, would you come up here? And I'm going to ask Matt, would you get up here, Matt, just for a second? And let me show you what God's called us to do. Now, y'all both turn. You turn this way. 
<clears throat> you turn this way, Matt. Here's you. Here's God. Sorry, Bean. I hit him too hard. <laughs> Here we go. Now, step a little bit further away. All right, now, here's the problem. Here's the way the human race is. Here's God. Now, fold your arms like you're kind of mad. There you go. Now, you do this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. For those of you listening by radio, I just asked Matt to make his make horns with his fingers. Okay. Now, here we go. Now, here's the deal. A reconciler steps into this situation. God can't fellowship with him. He can't fellowship with God. God's angry at the sin in his life. He is an enemy of God, and he doesn't care about the sin in his life. Most of the time, doesn't even know about the sin in his life. And so here you come. You have been given the ministry, the task, the call of reconciliation. And here's your message. My Jesus, on the cross, he was stretched out like this. Right? One hand towards God. The other hand towards you. And he stood in the middle. And he gave his life. And God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he took the blame and God judged sin. And so therefore, God's need to be satisfied where justice was concerned was handled and taken care of at the cross. He judged sin at the cross. And now Jesus says, I died for their sin. And now you say, Jesus died for your sin. And you say to me, I accept what you did. I accept what you did. And what Jesus does, he takes God's hand, he takes your hand, and he says, reconcile. Isn't that right? So let's stand together, can we? And I want to do something today that God has put on my heart. You know, I tell you, everywhere I go, I take my pulpit with me. I hand out cards everywhere I go, talk to people about God everywhere I go. Because you know what? God's called me to be a reconciler, to give the message of reconciliation, to be at the task of reconciliation. So I've got a message for that lost word. Now, they may tell me to get out of their face and go away. That's okay. But if they believe it, if they embrace it, it's the power of God to salvation, and they are reconciled. The Lord impressed me. I want to pray for this church, that this will so dawn on you. You don't have to be a theologian to tell somebody, well, you know, I found, I found peace with God through, through Jesus. Just not forceful, not pushy. But you have a ministry of reconciliation. You're called to do that. You can go where I can't go. You're going to go places this week, your workplace, wherever, that I, I'm not going to be there. But Jesus is there with you. And all around you are people dead, the enemies of God, and experiencing His anger. And they need to be reconciled. 
the Lord asked me, I want to pray for an anointing of a reconciler on you. And that's what I'm going to do in obedience to him. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, you know, I've not ever been comfortable with, with witnessing. I'm not comfortable talking to people. Don't worry about that. I'm going to pray an anointing of a reconciler on you. That something will begin to happen in your life. You don't have to push pearls. You don't have to say, you know, turn or burn. In, in next week, I'm going to talk about it. Friendship evangelism. You know people who will listen to you. And I'm going to encourage you to take this message to heart and realize that God's dream for you is that you would be the person involved in seeing what you just saw down here, reconciling people to God. Then the anger is off of them. The guilt, the shame. So if you'll let me pray that over you, would you come down? You don't have to come down, but if you really, if this witnesses to you strongly, I want you to come down. I'm going to pray the anointing of a reconciler on you. And I'm going to pray over the whole church that God gives us this. And so let's worship uh, Joe as they come. And we're going to have a powerful moment in just a moment before we go. This is powerful. God's going to use you as a reconciler. Amen.